Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge. I'm your host, Alex Burkett. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode all about rising to the challenge of self-confidence. We're back this week with a special guest. Her name is Jennifer Cobb. She was a former cheerleader for the formerly known as the St. Louis Rams, and currently she is the founder of Team Gateway to a Cure. Jennifer joins us to talk about her transition from being a cheerleader and using the platform into how she uses her platform to bring awareness of her organization that she's a part of. She talks about the struggles and what the mindset that she had to overcome and have that don't give up attitude. Remember, if you're new to the podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we're also on Stitcher also. This week's quickfire challenge is nobody said it would be easy, so don't ever give up when it gets hard. So think about what Jennifer and her mindset that she had and that she couldn't give up and how she took those obstacles and overcame them. But also think about in your life. Have you ever had a moment where it's been difficult and you just wanted to give up? What kind of mindset were you going through? Use this quote and always remember that you can overcome anything you put your mind to. So sit back and relax and enjoy Jennifer Cobb's Rise to the Challenge. Please welcome my guest at this time, Jennifer Cobb. How are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. This well, th is wonderful. Thank you for coming on to the show. During this experience, we like to go through each stages of someone's life to learn about their rise to the challenge. So with each podcast, we like to start off with what were you involved with growing up? What were your passions, inspirations, and motivations in life? Yeah, so my I was always kind of a, a little bit of a tomboy. I had two older brothers, always uh, climbing trees and chasing frogs and, um, you know, trying to keep up with them. And I was always very active. I wasn't a girly girl at all. But um came from a blue-collar family, and uh, my father owned an electrical company, Ty Cobb Electric. Yes, the name Ty Cobb, same <laughs> as the baseball player, but... Much, much nicer <laughs> than the baseball guy. <laughs> and my mom was an accountant uh, for uh, a construction company. And um, I, my dreams and aspirations growing up was I wanted to actually be a concrete layer. I wanted to lay concrete because I just, I loved um, construction and creating and all kinds of stuff like that. But um, unfortunately, my parents, uh, back then when I was growing up, we, we had money and we had enough just to make it and pay bills and stuff but we didn't have extra and to afford things that you now know today is select sports um so i wasn't able to my parents didn't uh, couldn't afford to put me in private lessons for gymnastics which is something i really love doing i love tumbling and flipping around and um, i was very uh, i was kind of a little bit of a spitfire <laughs> so i'm Fortunately, my next-door neighbor uh, worked at a gymnastics club. And so on the weekends and um, after school, she would help teach me. And we would literally tumble and learn uh, different skills and such uh, on the front yard, my lawn, my front of my house. And um, 
I did that so long over the years that by the time I got to high school, um, I actually tried out for cheerleading squad. Uh, I'm sorry, the gymnastics team and actually made it on varsity my freshman year. That's impressive. Um, yeah. So there's a lot to be said that when you want something bad enough, you will find a way to get it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I did cheerleading in junior high. I did cheerleading and gymnastics in high school. And then when I went away to college, uh, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, uh, majored in food and nutrition, dietetics. I uh, tried out for the squad and cheered for college football and basketball all four years. And then after graduation there, I went to uh, move to St. Louis and worked at a children's hospital as a uh, nutritionist there. And then as I was driving down the road one day, I heard that Georgia Frontieri was moving the St. Louis Ram or the LA Rams to St. Louis. And she was holding open auditions um, and then for 40 spots. So I thought, you know, I have a lot of college uh, cheerleading and high school cheerleading, stunting, gymnastics background, but I don't have any really much dancing. So I don't think that I'm going to make the team because, um, so many of these girls, when I walked in an audition, I thought, I'll just give it a try. Who knows? You never know. Maybe I'll, but at least I can make some friends and it'll be fun just to try out and say I tried it. I looked around and I thought, oh my goodness, there's no way I'm going to make the team. These girls are amazing dancers. Like they are so technical and so spot on. It was extremely intimidating, but I, I persevered and uh, just was myself showcased my charisma, my personality, and I just kept practicing and working really hard, kind of like what I was doing on the front yard of my house all these years. And I mastered the audition routine, um, went in for a live interview. And next thing I know it, I was chosen for as one of the 40 for the inaugural season for the Rams. And I stayed on the team from inaugural season to Super Bowl. So I was part of the greatest show on turf. Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce and Marsha Fox, some of the greats we know today. You talked about uh, when you went to college, you went for food nutrition. What brought you to that direction to go into that industry? Yeah, I was always, always fascinated with nutrition and fitness. Um, it's just, you know, we don't have today uh, the sort of testing and the opportunities to find out where your passions are and, and to kind of uh, research those sort of um, avenues that we have today. I wish uh, that we did. We also didn't have the technology that I could uh, look into um, a little bit more in depth. Our research was going to the library and pulling a book out and learning the history of nutrition and medical nutrition and how, <laughs> where it came from. <laughs> so it was probably uh a little bit of a leap of faith as well as some of my friends or actually one of my girlfriends uh, who was going to college with me her aunt was a dietitian i actually interviewed her and i was just fascinated with her day-to-day day-to-day um, skills and things that she was doing with patients and people and the public and the community as well as the um um the the medical side of it and it was just really fascinating to me so i thought you know i'm gonna leap it leap of faith it uh, if i don't care too much for it my first year i can always change it's not like i'm making a lifelong decision for the rest of my life i was 
18 years old. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. thinking if I'm 18 years old, I'm not making a lifelong decision here. I'm going to go. And if it doesn't work, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Especially with college, so you can go yeah. in uh, any different direction, even at 18, because that's your freshman year going in. So you can go in a yeah. different way. Yeah. So I went in freshman year and my counselor and I sat down and we kind of mapped up the four years of school. And I actually shadowed that summer, my freshman year, I shadowed at a nursing home with a dietitian. And I thought, if I'm going to dive into this and get really, really involved, kind of what I did on the front yard of my house, if I'm going to learn how to do a backflip on my own, I'm going to learn how to do a backflip on my own. I mean, I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And until it's done. So I shadowed, um, um, so I, I, I shadowed with her um, every Wednesday after my last class and um, just dove into following her around and ask a thousand million questions just to really learn about the day to day. Because if I was going to, um, you know, choose this as a career, I wanted to make sure that um, it's something that really fit Jennifer, really fit me, who I was. And actually clinical, after getting in to the children's hospital where I worked at, after graduation, I found out that clinical really wasn't for me. It was really, really hard to go to, to, to work every day um, caring for these children. Yes, caring for them and nutrition was such a huge impact in their diseases, long, longevity and long-term with their families to teach them and how to care for their children battling cancer or diabetes or whatever their their diseases they were you know issues were but it was really hard because Alex the, the next day I might go to, to work and they could be expired and I got to know these families and these these kids these children were such a huge part of my life because you're with them for weeks and sometimes months and you have played such a huge role in their their health that there's such a huge attachment and then when you go to work and they're expired and you not see them and the room is totally bare it, it, it just was it just it was really hard for me to just erase all of it and um at that moment i thought you know i'm gonna i'm gonna continue on my that education i went to washington university and mastered in sports nutrition and that's what led me to community nutrition. And so I started um, my own practice and counseling athletes in sports nutrition. And that, that was my niche, the sports nutrition to see how huge of an impact nutrition played in their performance. And so um, I, was, I was so blown away by, by that, which therefore led me to try out for one of the um, I, most iconic fitness competitions in, in the country, which is Miss Super Fitness. Okay. And I went out to Maui, Hawaii, while I was with the St. Louis Rams, cheering for the worst team in the NFL. And I went out to Maui, Hawaii, um, and ended up coming home as the fittest woman in America champion. Wow. And uh, the media made a mockery of it on the news. They they said that the cheerleader, who's the fittest woman in America, is cheering for the worst team in the NFL. Maybe she needs to be coaching. And the next year, we won the Super Bowl. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I had anything to do with it. I'm just saying that my cheerleading skills maybe had a little bit. You have to take the credit for it. The guys in the in the locker room with 
maybe that monkey on their back, right? Oh my goodness, that's when you're when you're going for that competition. What were the challenges in getting prepared for that competition? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so part of the competition was swimsuit, looking at your physical fitness physique. Another part was a choreographed routine that you danced and did gymnastics and fun choreographed um, dancing on the on the stage for the audience. And then the other part was physical fitness, and that was a um, mile run on the beach, um, an obstacle course, and a half a mile swim in the ocean, which I didn't know how to swim. I was petrified of water, actually scared to death of it. So prior to the competition, um, you know me, if I'm going to learn something else, I'm going to learn it. <laughs> Determination. I hired a swimming coach. So about two months before the, sh- the competition out in Maui, I hired a coach, and three weeks out of the three days out of the week, I met with her for about an hour, hour and a half, uh, and uh, we 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 uh, we hit the water, and she taught me how to do this freestyle and backstroke in case I get tired and how to kick and breathe. And I mean, I just dove into it and trained really, really hard to get through it. Now, I think I got last in the swimming. I got like fifth in the obstacle and first or second in the beach run. The routine on stage, I got second and the physical fitness bathing suit, I got a first. And when you add up all the math, (laughs) I ended up first place. One thing a listener can look at is your determination and you completed that swimming part. Um, you were nervous about it, but you weren't going to do anything unless you were going to finish that, get across that finish line and making sure to complete it and everything. When you were going for the cheerleading, um, I know people probably have seen the show on CMT that Dallas Cowboys cheerleading. My mom watches it all the time. Was it, could you compare it to that experience that they show on TV or is it a lot dialed down because it's not as big as the Dallas Cowboys? No, it is, it is like that. A lot of girls are like that and they chose to be very dramatic. They chose to use that uh, platform to draw attention and drama to their life. Um, but I got to tell you, it is it is very hard, um, very tough. You've got to do your homework. The NFL is serious, and they want serious ambassadors that are going to represent them, not only on the field, but off the field. And, and this is this is serious stuff. It's just like you're going in for a job, and there's only a couple spots. You better be prepared. You better have your homework done. You better do your research. And um, I'm one of those that... Before I go into anything and dive into anything, I do. I prepare myself mentally. If I have something that I'm lacking in, I'll do what I need to do in order to secure a spot. And I am not one at all to shy away from, hey, what do I need to work on? You tell me what your expectations are of me, and I will go and do it. Because at the end of the day, if you really, really want something that bad, you're going to do whatever it takes to get it. It's those that don't want to do the work that think the work is going to come to them. And those are the ones that go, poor me, poor me. Why did I not make it and cry? They were told very clearly what was expected of them. And a lot of these girls will come in and say, oh, I'm so beautiful and pretty and I walk the walk. But they don't talk it. They've been shown and told 
what skills they're supposed to be perfecting and they still don't do it and they still cry and wonder why they're not on the squad because there's somebody that's right behind you that monkey that's on your back someone that's breathing down your neck somebody wants it even more than you do so you've got to be prepared and you know i think a lot of times with the generation as of today they have a tendency many times to have instant gratification. Well, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. How come it's not showing up? How come? What, what's wrong with me? What's wrong? Sometimes it's not what's wrong with you. It's not what you're doing or what you should be doing in order to get something accomplished and done. And so I knew what my weaknesses were and I knew what my strengths were. So I needed my weaknesses to be stronger than my strengths and how, a lot of times what people don't do is they don't they do the reverse so when i walk into a competition like a tryout even if it's a rookie coming in and i'm a veteran i'm not secured that spot next year i still have to try out every veteran has to try out no matter what and every judge could be blindfolded and not know who is what or the girl could be you know from the head up could be you know, you don't even know who's dancing and you can choose. So it's not a secure spot. And so they want somebody who's going to represent the team, just like the players. The players go through the exact same process. Just because you have talent doesn't necessarily mean that the team's going to take you. You've got to persevere in all categories of as an athlete. you got to be the character of an athlete. you got to walk off the team or off the field as a, as a representative of that of that um, that company that as an ambassador you gotta you gotta be able to have camaraderie and get along with the other fellas in the locker room and even when you're on the worst day of a of a game or the worst day of practice and there's a lot of things that go into play with selecting a player that's going to represent that team because at the end of the season and you walk away you've got to be an alumni standing tall for who you're representing and the NFL takes it extremely serious. And so what you see, many times I would say about 70% of it is real, but a lot, maybe about 30% of it is, is, is a little bit for show. You know, they gotta, TV, get, they gotta get the ratings somehow. A little bit of drama, which is great. We all, we all like a little <laughs> drama once in a while. <laughs> That's why you watch the show. Yeah, I think a lot of people can agree to that. So during your yeah. time uh, as a Rams cheerleader, what skills and what did you learn about yourself during that time period? Yeah, uh, that your sometimes your strengths aren't the thing that gets you um, to move on to the next level, and um, to you know polish up on your weaknesses. Uh, also, networking and networking is something that actually because of my networking, I was able to open my foundation, my start my foundation. Many times you hear the players who um, they um, uh, hang up their, their, you know, retire and put their helmets up and their footballs and say, okay, I'm finished for the year or finished with my season or I'm done with my career. And they start their foundations and charities. Not very much do you hear of a cheerleader doing that. So I'm one of very few. And so I wanted to use the platform coming off the field to start Team Gateway to a Cure. My father had was diagnosed with Parkinson's right around the time when Michael J. Fox was diagnosed in 1999. And I wanted to uh, start Team Gateway to a Cure 
to raise awareness for all brain diseases, not just Parkinson's, um, you know, concussions, ALS, MS, um, Alzheimer's, uh, stroke, Parkinson's disease. And so um, I hosted different um, fundraisers and, and for research for Michael J. Fox's foundation, but I've also collaborated with the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center, which is focused on uh, caregiver support because uh, the caregivers don't necessarily have fundraisers. They don't have 5K walks for them. And so where do they go for their support? Not just fundraising, but just some moral support, emotional support, financial support. And so Team Gateway to a Cure is, is, is focusing on helping support the caregiver. Were those other organizations that you uh, collaborated with, did they reach out to you or did they see what you were doing and wanted to be a part of that experience also? Yeah, so I, I networked with uh, people and I'm not shy away from, you know, calling people up and asking um, to meet with them. And um, one of the things I wanted to do was uh, just that. And uh, I was so honored to have met Lonnie Ali, the, the, wi the widow of Mohammed and got to meet all of um, the doctors, actually Mohammed's doctor uh, just retired and I was invited to his party and his celebration and um, uh, Michael's foundation honors me at the VIP awards in New York City for my efforts for fundraising. And, um, you know, through the years and you, you meet people and you, you cultivate relationships and you get to know them and you stay in touch with them and you reach out, is there anyone that you know of that could possibly help me? And this is what I'm kind of looking for. I'd like to get the word out more. And so, you know, you, you use those opportunities, which one, one thing I've done, and the NFL has been nothing but supportive, the players, the other cheerleaders, all throughout the NFL. And it, my foundation is today where it is because of that. I take a lot of pride in the friendships and the network and the relationships that I've kept and very private, but I'm, I'm also very protective um, and, and take a lot of value in that because I can't do it by myself, Alex. I, it takes a lot of, of people and team members and help. And because of you and others along the way, I'm able to get it to where I am today. And so, I, you know, I thank you and, and um, your listeners and anyone go to the website, teamsgatewaytoacure.org and reach out to me, go to the volunteer section email me make a donation in somebody's name or a loved one in memory of um you know uh, that might be battling a, a brain disease and we'll give them recognition uh but more importantly it's it's about recognizing those that are going through it um and the loved one behind the scene that's caring for those going through it the caregivers i mean with the COVID 19 virus the caregivers now are being recognized more now than they've ever yep. had and so thank goodness for Team Gateway to a Cure and everyone that's, you know, rallying around the caregivers. Something I loved reading about your story was your philanthropy aspect with your foundation. When I was in college, I found a passion in philanthropy work. And with my fraternity, I, I was the philanthropy chair for two to three years. And my job was to spread awareness of the ALS Foundation and Live Like Lou. Um, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yes. And creating the events um, I had a passion for. I was be able to put in concepts that I liked. So I created game show nights, um, helped out with walks, um, fundraisers, um, big DJ parties. But just about awesome. spreading the mission 
um, was the best part. If someone was yeah. learning about it, it made me happy. And it sound for you, you have so much passion that it excites me to want to be able to help any way I can. Um, just to Aww, be thank able to you. Help. Yeah. So I love I, the passion that you have just talking thank to you. you. Oh, well, you know, I want I want to cheer on the caregivers. And I know that sounds kind of cliche and silly, but as an alumni Super Bowl cheerleader, but I do, I the cheer cheering them on. I, I see what my mom does and I see what other caregivers do, especially if you're a low income senior or if you're a sibling caring for younger siblings or a grandparent caring for, you know, your grandkids or you're a mom or a mother or father caring for um, a child with disability or children and you're a single parent. I mean, caregivers alone, where where do they get their support when they're sad, mm -hmm. depressed, financially, you know, stuck? They can't get to their doctor appointments. They can't pay for their medicine. They can't get a drive driver to take them to and from. I mean, I mean it's really, really hard. Yeah. And so until, Alex, until we have a cure for whatever disease it is, fill in the blank, the caregiver is behind the scenes cheering them on. And I think it's really, really important that we recognize those caregivers yep. um, and understand that every one of them have a story. I mean, what do you do every morning when you wake up? You turn on your social media, what's the first thing you do? You read the comments. What do you think those comments are? Those comments are stories. Yes. The stories about what you just posted. And there's, there's a draw to the story. There's a draw to stories. And why do you think that is? Because we're humans. We crave trauma bonding. We crave to bond with other people's trauma so we can ourselves get through our days. And we're humanly built that way. We're created that way. We thrive in that way. It's really, really important that we hold on to that. Storytelling together is so incredibly powerful. And I hope that through my story that I can help, you know, allow others to see what their passion is and to bring out the love and the hope out of their hearts to help care for their loved ones. Definitely. And with social media, we most most of us see negative stuff on there. But when we find those positive aspects, we need to promote the positives that we see. And with those comments that are about those stories, we want to be able to find that emotional connection and be able to help any way we can reach out to those people, support, do whatever we can. Even if it's sending a message that could brighten that person's day up to make it from oh, a negative right. to a Absolutely. positive. And yep. all this hate is just not where we need to be right now. So reaching out any way we can is the best best tool that we have. Right, yep, I agree. Well, I hope that through my story, I'm able to help others give uh, an insight to um, perseverance and motivation and, and not to give up and how to be determined to whatever you decide to do. Yeah, yes. And, you know, though, listeners, you can reach out to teamgatewaytoacure.org. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Jennifer Cobb, Team Gateway to a Cure. You can reach me on any of those social media platforms. Something when I was looking at your LinkedIn page is you were part of a documentary film. You were, worked with that. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, so the movie will be released at the end of the year. It's in post-production soon, we're hoping anyway. And, and um, it's about the story and the life of Dr. Jerry Medoff, who 
Dr. Jerry Medoff was an infectious disease doctor here in St. Louis, Missouri at Washington University, and he became world famous when he invented the 21 pill cocktail for HIV virus about 25 years ago. And now if you develop HIV, you take one pill, you live a normal life. And because of his medical breakthrough with that virus, people live. And as, and as he cared for these patients, it changed his bedside manner. He himself is battling with Parkinson's and he together takes every day 21 pills for Parkinson's medication. So where will Parkinson's be 20 years from now as we unfold that medical mystery, as he unfolded the greatest medical mystery of our time, which is HIV virus. And so the other side to the disease is the caregiver support. So the name of the movie is called A Race for Another Day and how another day of life is a race until we have a cure what that life looks like with the love and the hope and the care from a caregiver and so it looks at the both sides of the illness the disease itself until we get a cure and then also the caregiver support and not only being a part of the movie as a co-producer but also in the movie as a caregiver myself an adult child caring for my father what that looks like in the day of, of the life of, of a caregiver the, but you can watch the trailer on the website, teamgatewaytoacure.org. For this movie, is it about bringing what people may not know and give them that knowledge and information so they can see the backstory of how the change has happened over time? Yes, kind of like how AIDS was. If you look up the documentary of HIV virus, you'll see dopamine is also another really great one, uh, how we unfolded that medical mystery. Um, but you look at the unfolding of this one and what it's going to be like in 20 years and to be a part of this history in the making, it's really cool. So now they just announced that there's a pill that, that people with Parkinson's can take that actually reverses the damage that Parkinson's has done to the brain. And this is just in the last couple of months. So, I mean, you can just only imagine Alex moving forward, how incredible the unfolding and the unraveling of this medical mystery is going to be. Earlier, you were when we were talking about when you were going into college, that for people to learn about these things, they had to actually go to the library and read about it. Did you have much knowledge on all of this when you were making the movie, or did you have to do a lot of research to get that information, to reach out to the right people, to get the information yeah, I from reached, doctors? I reached out to, yeah, that's a great question. I reached out to, I did a lot of research myself, but as I met with people and talked to people and gone to conferences and, and just every time I have the opportunity to learn, I do. And so with talking and, and attending, and looking into, I was able to collaborate a lot of information because it just became part of my lifetime routine. Um, anytime you're passionate about something, that's what you're drawn to. When you were going to these conferences, did you have, were you knowing that networking was going to play a big role in your future? And when you were doing the foundation for the other areas that you worked in? No, I've always been a, somebody that doesn't shy away from, you know, asking questions, just real intuitive and 
interested and learning more and I've always been a people person so it's just kind of my nature that if I'm involved in a caregiver program or a caregiver conference if I speak at one um, to find out there's always something that I want to find out um, I'll find it out and then I'll use it to an advantage for me or the foundation to help um, also you know anybody I meet I am always thinking in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if they could help me or how could I help them? You know, that's, that's always something that I have in the, in the focus moving forward in my, in my mind anyway. So another organization you're a part of is Wings of Hope. Talk about how you got involved in that. Yeah, so Wings of Hope is here in St. Louis and they are an aviation uh, program that take people who are suffering from some type of an illness to a specialized hospital. And it's not just in St. Louis, it could be anywhere in the world. And um, it's really hard to choose who they're gonna pick. I wouldn't wanna be part of that board. <laughs> but one of the things that they wanted to do was collaborate with Team Gateway to offer an aviation, um, um, an aviation trip from St. Louis to Arizona there's an aviative, uh, there's a field, a landing field there close to the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center where caregivers could go for um, help. Um, and those that are suffering from Parkinson's can also go for help. And they have offered to um, fly. And that program is now still in the making. So it's not, uh, has not actually lifted itself off the ground. <laughs> But it's uh, no it's pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> when you were so, looking, what? yeah. When you were looking back at, um, did you start the foundation before you got this opportunity with Wings of Hope, or was Wings of Hope before the foundation being started that you're a part of? No, Wings of Hope was was when we were together, uh, when the foundation was already in the works. When you were with, as the member of the foundation, any skills or ideas that you used during that time that you pursued with Wings of Hope or were you just being a part of the cause and doing any um, thing that they Yeah, needed? mostly just mostly just part of the cause um, because um, they loved the philanthropy part of Team Gateway, the mission of Team Gateway, the caregiver spot part of it. And they hadn't really, done anything like that and so one of the things that they um, wanted to do was reach out and have team gateway and wings of hope together so that that way that they can fly people who are suffering from parkinson's here in st louis and caregivers out to the muhammad ali parkinson center as well as they wanted me to be a part of some of their events um to uh, spread more awareness to what we were doing as a foundation with the gateway to the cure what are what does the future look like for um that organization how are you guys being able to spread the mission during the situation that's going on right now yeah so uh avenues like this one podcasts radio um magazine articles digital um social media trying to just get the message out as much as we can. We're actually rebranding our um, website and auditing it and um, working with a marketing company from Florida. 
so uh, we're going to get more awareness out. But most importantly, through avenues like this, people like you and your listeners and, you know, just spread the awareness to draw people more to our website would be great uh, to talk about caregiver support and what that looks like. And for anyone listening, uh, we'll have the link in the description to the websites and all the social media platforms for the Gateway to the Cure. Yeah, thank you so much. No problem. This has been such a great conversation, and I'm so happy that you had had me on. I'm a person that loves learning about new things that are going on in the outside of the industry that I've been in, even in the areas with philanthropy work that I haven't experienced yet. I'm one of those people that I'm determined to take those risks and reach out of my comfort zone, and I wanted to learn more about what you did. Something we like to do at the end of the podcast is kind of do like a summary kind of way. Uh, for someone getting into charity work and philanthropy, what tips and advice would you give them? Um, you know, look at your network and find out. First, you need to find out what your passion is, what kind of charity or philanthropy or your heart is guiding you to. And then look at your community and people in your community and support our programs that are already existing in your community and in Google search and reach, reach out to them and see if you can shadow and be a part and get more information about how they're doing their programs. I think right at the very get go is volunteering is a great way to support and um, to get involved with uh, the charities that you're really you know interested in. What's the best way to reach out to these organizations for someone to learn about and experience what they do? Well, you can Google um, any organization that might be in your area and you can just pick up the phone and call them and just, you know, go in and interview them and find out more and to find out what kind of um, activity you're looking at wanting to get involved. Are you wanting to volunteer for an event? Are you wanting to spearhead a, an event? Are you wanting to co- coordinate um, a to-go fund? Are you wanting to coordinate, um, you know, what, whatever your niche is, um, you know, there's always a way. People like to talk. People love to talk about what they're doing, what their passions are, what they're involved in. And if you Google search in your area or even make a phone call to somebody or a foundation and ask them, um, I'd like five, 10 minutes of your time. I'd like to learn more information about what you've got, what you're involved in. Who do I talk to? Who can I you know, get on the phone with um, or come in and, and meet person to person? If they don't know, is there somebody that you can connect me to that would know? Um, I'm sure the more you persevere to find an answer, most likely you'll get it. Definitely. You'll find someone that's willing to talk and wanting to have you involved any way possible. I know organizations are always looking for volunteers at events, um, even just uh, helping out with office stuff. Um, I know my fraternity, we did a lot with going out to patients with ALS and doing household things for them because they just needed the help and we all love doing that and being there and supporting and learning more about what they were going through and 
coming back to campus and doing a fundraiser for them to help them pay their bills. So anyone listening, it's get involved any way you can because those people will appreciate the time and the drive that you have to help them out. Thank you so much. The last question I have for you is give the listeners your tips and advice that you've experienced in rising to your challenge. So what would you want them to do to rise to their challenge if they were listening yeah, to this? Yeah, I'm going to sum it up super easy. Don't give up. Yeah. We live in an instant gratification world and we expect it to happen now, 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 now. I want it now. now. No. I, I, I am in my 40s and I was with the Rams in my 20s. And I'm living now so much more happier and getting so much more accomplished and things are happening more now than when I had my twenties. It was a marathon and patience is your best friend. And if you can endure and, 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 and grab a hold of that, I promise you it will happen. Don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. Cause it's not, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be the first one to tell you <laughs> it's not going to happen. It might tomorrow, but not today. <laughs> it takes time. It doesn't come the next second right away. No. Yep. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for coming on to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Um, it was fun learning more about your organization. And I will put all the descriptions or the links to all your pages in my description so people can learn more about it. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a joy, and I appreciate it. And uh, you and your family and all stay safe. And thank you so much for all your support. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their Rise of the Challenge. Remember to follow the podcast on Instagram at Rise of the Challenge Podcast. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean to get the latest episodes and to hear my previous guests talk about their Rise of the Challenge. Remember... This podcast is all about real life stories, real motivations to inspire all generations. Have a great day, everyone.